Hey everybody, my name is Zach, and this is The Delivered, a podcast for Christ Redeemed. So, let's dig in. Okay, so we're starting 1 Thessalonians, and before we get into it, I wanted to take care of some business. I missed last week due to a plumbing issue I had putting in a shower here at my house, um... So I wasn't able to have time to record there. It's been really hectic at work lately. Um, But this week we're going to be digging into 1 Thessalonians. And I will be finishing up Daniel and releasing those as bonus episodes as time allows. I'm not going to schedule anything. I don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, I will also release a bonus here probably sometime this week. A short, quick um, exposition on Paul. That way you get a background on him. And I may do one on Thessalonica as well. But we'll be digging into all of that in the lesson itself. Um, Other than that, that's pretty much all the business I have to take care of. I do appreciate anybody listening to this podcast. And I do hope it's edifying. I try to get a little deeper here than I'm able to in Sunday school with how short the class is, but I want to make sure that I'm teaching it fully so even they're aware that if they want a more in-depth look at it, they can come here, but I want to rightly divide this word. That's why I've I've started this podcast so that anybody listening to it will have it rightly divided to the best of my abilities. So without further ado, Thessalonians. Here we go. Okay, so a little bit of introduction to Thessalonians. It takes place during Paul's second missionary journey. Um, They tried to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit barred them and sent them on this quest through uh, Greece. So after some time and some stops in some cities, uh, including Philippi, Paul winds up in Thessalonica, and he's there, I, th- I want to say, I know they preached for three Sabbaths in the synagogues. It was him, Silas, or Silvanus, and Timothy. But there was some uh, disturbances from the law-keeping Jews of the community, and they were snuck out of the city, and after a while... Uh, Paul goes down to Corinth, which is where he writes this letter at. They were able to establish a congregation there in Thessalonica, but they weren't able to really disciple the people there in Thessalonica. And so Paul's concerned about that, as anybody should be. And he sends Timothy back with, with to, to try to figure out what's going on. And this is taking place around summer of AD 50 or the early months of AD 51, I could be a couple of years off, naturally. That would make this Paul's second epistle after Galatians. So Galatians is his first. This would be his second. So um, Acts, Acts 16 and 17 will record more in depth some of this background if you're interested. So going into verse 1. 
Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God, the Father of, Lo of the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. So we have a who here. Paul, apostle, radically saved by God, um, on his way to Damascus to give orders to drag Jews back, or to drag Christians back to Jerusalem to stand trial for their faith. He's confronted with the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, where Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? You know, uh, he's radically transformed in his uh, encounter with Christ. He he was present at the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr, and afterwards he goes on and writes two thirds of the New Testament, the most prolific gospel writer there ever was, uh, the most prolific gospel preacher there ever was and arguably the greatest Christian that's ever lived. So Silvanus had been with Paul at Antioch and he's the one who replaced Barnabas on the second uh, journey after Barnabas uh, found a way to weasel himself out and he wanted to rejoin but Paul said no I can't have someone double-minded on this with me. Timothy was a young man he was half Jew half Gentile he came to faith under Paul's work there in Lystra, and he joined the journey through Greece. So we have Paul, we have Silvanus or Silas, and we have Timothy. Uh, a side note, Silas was also a member of the Church of Jerusalem. He was a respected member as well. We dig into the second half of verse 1, grace to you and peace. Uh, charis is the Greek word for grace, and it comes from the Cairo, meaning to rejoice. It's where joy comes from, the idea of joy, to rejoice. So this so so grace and then second we have irene. That's equivalent to shalom or peace. Grace and peace, charis and irene. God's work through Christ, grace, brings people to a harmonious relationship with God and one another, peace. So we see that grace and peace are only able to be acquired through faith in Christ, which leads to our justification before God the Father. So picking up in verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. We, there's solidarity and unity among the three men, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, in this letter. <clears throat> a spirit of thanksgiving is a telltale sign of salvation, and it's a great duty and should be performed always and without ceasing your prayer and thanksgiving. It should be constant in the forefront of your mind and your relationship with God, to God, and a saint's trust should go to the sovereignty of God. That's where victories come from. That's where salvation comes from. That's where election comes from. That's where failures come from, is the sovereignty of God. And his miraculous work in the Thessalonian church shows uh, Paul that the Holy Spirit has moved among these people. And, and always here, we give thanks to God always. It's constant. Every time he prays for the Thessalonians, he gives thanks for the, Th for the Thessalonians. All of you. They did not single out anyone 
from this church. They prayed for them all collectively, and he knew them by name. In most of Paul's letters, he'll say, so and so does this, and thank you for this, and 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 hither on because he knows them by name. And constantly mentioning you, as often as they prayed for the congregation, they gave thanks. Uh, they asked God for strength for these people. And Paul was a man of prayer. Uh, Christ was a man of prayer. Paul was a man of prayer. And we're supposed to be imitators of that lifestyle of prayer. And the main wish, uh, the main, uh, main verse in the Greek structure is we give thanks. Eucharistamen, it's present, it's active, and it's supported by the participle phrases found in verses 2 and 4, mentioning, remembering, and knowing. And we give thanks, that's how they, they mention them, they remember them, and they know them. And that's how they do give thanks. So going down to verse 3, remembering before our God and Father, you work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Remembering is a conjunction um, with prayers and the prayer that remembered. So three reasons, or three responses to the gospel. You have, you have work, you have labor, and you have steadfastness. The Thessalonians worked diligently to prove their faith exhaustively. Remember, there are ethnic and cultural traditions here. There's, there's, we're going to get more into that here in a minute, but that's why there's so much issue going on. That's why Paul, Silas, and Timothy were, were cast out of the city because of these uh, cultural and ethnic tensions that go on. And it's interesting to note how we just finished up Daniel where a lot of the strife calls for those men were ethnic and cultural tensions. So keep that in mind as we continue. So the three responses, again, were work, labor, and steadfastness. And you have work, working out your faith. You have labor. You labor because you love. You have steadfastness. You don't give up. You continue. You, you persevere because you have hope. Now, verse 4, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Paul, he chases the streams of, of this faith, this hope, this love, all the way to the fountainhead, which is God's electing love. He holds, he holds nothing back from here. And, and quickly and early on, Paul recognizes them as brothers, not as relational blood, but of Christ's blood. So we know that there is a salvation here, that these men are, that these people are saved. They are brothers in Christ. And Paul recognizes the status of being loved by God. They have been forgiven once and for all. He has chosen you. So God never unchooses anything. He doesn't, he doesn't change his mind. When his mind's made up on something, nowhere in Scripture has God ever changed his mind. Verse 5, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, 
you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So they didn't just hear the gospel. They felt the gospel. By this we may know our election, if we not only speak of the things of God, but by, by, by rate as parrots, but feel the influence of these things in our hearts, mortifying our lusts, weaning us from the world and raising us up to heavenly things. It's Matthew Henry. <clears throat> so we know our salvation. Our election is secure in that we're not just regurgitating things that we've heard. Our lives are representative of these things. Our private lives are representative. Our public lives are representative. Our work lives are representative. If people don't look at you and say that the gospel has permeated you, then God has not changed you. And in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one who does the convincing and the convicting. So God does the electing, Christ has done the redeeming, and the Holy Spirit pulls forth your sin, places them before you, and gives you a spirit of conviction as your heart is transformed. So these three men worked hard to be consistent and to work out their faith. Not, not, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. They worked their faith out in front of the Thessalonians and they continued to do so. Verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul kept his conversation holy, as well as his his actions, lest he should ever build with one hand and tear down with the other. He didn't want these people to hear him say one thing and see him do another, or see him do one thing and hear another. The Thessalonians followed his example. There's consistency that has to be done. There, it has to be sought in the faith. They're being imitators of Paul, uh, then led them to be imitators of Christ because Paul imitated Christ in much affliction. So recall that the the center, the central parties in Thessalonica had been violent with the missionaries, and so then imagine how they must have been to the young congregation that didn't leave the city. Paul, Silas, and, and Timothy are in Corinth during this time. These others weren't. So, moving down to verse 7. So that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So we're going to get a little bit more in-depth background here. Macedonia was a Roman province on the Balkan Peninsula. Thessalonica was the capital. It was a seaport. That's why it was a sort of melting pot. In our modern time, think uh, New Orleans or even Louisville, Los Angeles, New York, you know, Boston, all these melting pots where people from all over the place get off and intermingle. Achaia was a Roman province south of Macedonia. And Athens are, and Corinth are here. So you have Macedonia and then Achaia to the south. The saving, life-changing faith was an example to all the other churches 
around. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Word traveled fast how these men were acting, how these men were behaving, how these men had been changed. So Christ is at the head. And then under Christ, you have Paul. And then flowing down from Paul, you have the Thessalonian church. And flowing down from them are all the other churches. So Paul imitated Christ. Christ lived a holy, sinless life. Uh, he never sinned. He gave the perfect example as to how we should live. He was a real person in a real time period, in a real place. So we look to his example, and we get as close to that example as we possibly can. Paul imitated Christ, and the Thessalonians imitated Paul. So they knew, Paul knew that Christ was tangible. So did the Thessalonians. Paul knew that he had to act according to how Christ had acted. He had to live according to how Christ had lived. And so that's how he tried to live, was as close to that as possible. That's why I said in the opening, Paul's probably the greatest Christian that's ever lived. To come from where he came from and to live, and to live how he lived and then died how he died, that's a miracle of God. And after... After Paul, we have the Thessalonian church, and that's who we're looking at is how their lives were transformed. And we're going to get deeper into their culture here in a second. And then after the Thessalonian church, all these other churches were able to look at the Thessalonian example, and they said, hey, you know, these guys are, are serious. They've actually changed. You know, it's not this empty... There's so many people that... And this is the danger of it. You tell people that you're a Christian... And then you act exactly how the world acts. And then you try to tell people, well, you need to get saved. From what? What am I getting saved from? Just to, do this, just to continue to do the things that I do? Why would I even waste my time with that? So moving on to verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we not we need not say anything. The Thessalonian example, number one, they participated in the spread of the gospel. Your duty is to participate in the spread of the gospel. The Great Commission, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all these things that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you until the end of the age. Their example was to spread the gospel, just like our example, which is Christ. And number two, their faithfulness to God has become well known. That's what you should be known for. If you're not known for anything else, then that should be the one thing that you're known for. It shouldn't be how funny your jokes can be, how... It shouldn't be how vulgar your jokes can be. It shouldn't be how much you can drink. You can now drink every man in the village. It shouldn't be I have the 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 best looking this or the fanciest that or the most expensive this. It shouldn't be any of those things. It shouldn't be any vain thing. Our whatever it is we're well known for, it should be our faithfulness to God.
And I tell my wife this all the time, that when I die, there's two things that I want to be known for. Number one, he loved God. And number two, he loved his wife. That's it. That's all I want to be known for. I don't care if anybody remembers me for anything else, as long as it's those two things. So word of the Lord. The word of the Lord sounded forth from you. The word of the Lord, that in short is the gospel. Okay, they're not, they don't go around just saying, you know, oh, God bless you and have a nice day. They don't speak these Christianese sayings to people. No, they are actively producing gospel messages before other people. And it's as easy as talking about it in common conversation. I talk about it with people at work all the time. How the importance of knowing whether one is saved is vital. You know, there's a sermon series I'm preaching through right now on First John on Sunday nights at the church. Because you need to know that you know that you know that you're saved. It's one thing to know that you said you were saved, but do you know that you actually are saved? You know, Do you have that assurance? And so what they're doing here is they're preaching the gospel. And the reason Paul's so earnest to write back to them is his, his biggest concern is, well, I had to leave the city. I didn't have the time necessary to disciple these people. But he is shocked that the greatest discipler of them all, the Holy Spirit, is with these people, working diligently in them, and then the Thessalonians are working diligently in their community to spread the word of the Lord, the gospel, which sounded forth from you. The Thessalonians, Thessalonica was a port city, and so the message was quickly, it, it, it traipsed around uh, hither and yon due to the commerce. These people were getting off the ships and hearing these Thessalonian uh, preachers telling them the gospel. They get back on the ships, they go back home or to another port city, and they're talking about, hey, these guys down here are talking about this. And the gospel sounds forth that way. And it's gone forth. It doesn't just sound from you. It's gone forth everywhere. The fame of their faith was a widespread fame. They were known for their faith in Thessalonica. They were known for their diligence in the faith. And Paul didn't have to convince anyone of the genuineness of the faith of the Thessalonian church. They did it themselves. He didn't have to write them a letter, Why, you know, who has bewitched you like he did the Galatians. He didn't have to write letters uh, dealing with sexual sins in, in particular. He's, he's writing to them to encourage them, to tell them, you guys are doing phenomenal. You are on the right path. I wish that I could have stayed longer, but the fact that you're doing this tells me I don't have anything to worry about. So verse 9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So, I want to look at some of these idols real quick. And I want to explain the importance of why they turn from their idols. Because it leads into more understanding into why they're in this predicament. So many deities were worshipped there. Remember, it's a Roman province. So many deities, it's, it's the Roman pantheon we're, we're dealing with here. They were worshipped and they had temples dedicated to them. You had Athena, you had Demeter, 
you had Persephone, Poseidon, Pan, and Hades. So this is the this is the pantheon we're dealing with. You know, there's there's so many, and, and this is just a handful. There are tons of gods in the Roman pantheon. And now, as the usual custom goes, if you want to add a god to to the pantheon, that's completely okay. And that's what you do upon conversion to another religion. You add your god onto the Roman pantheon, and you just worship them all. But no, no, no. That's not what happened there. They turned to God and abandoned their idols. Epistrepsite. Turn. It's active. You turn away from something. It's not a... I keep it in conjunction with, or I keep it in the, in the vicinity of, it's you have turned from the old and have embraced the new. And the Eidolon, it's the idols. It's plural. They've turned completely away from these things and become a dulin, a slave to something else. And that is, they've worn, they now wear the chains of the gospel and they've changed the, chained themselves to the leg of the throne of God. The turning from idols, it, it, it seemed to be a flaying, playing with fire uh, situation to others there in Thessalonica. So you have Pax Deorum, peace with the gods. They would make sacrifices to these gods in the temple to keep this Pax Doreum. They wanted to keep peace with these gods. Then you have Pietus. It's your duty to honor these gods. And if you don't do your duty, then you're failing as a citizen of this province. Then you have cultus deorum, cultivation of the god. That's what these um, sacrifices are doing, is, getting, is gaining the favor of these gods. Then you have Ira Deorum, which is anger of the gods, and that's called down like thunder when you disobey this ordinance, when you don't participate in this. And so it was a huge ordeal. And when they when they saw these these men at Thessalonica, or at the Thessalonian church, when they saw those men forsaking the idols, they were thinking, Oh no, what are you doing? You're gonna get us all in trouble with the gods. You know, they, they wanted to continue their their wickedness in peace, as it were. And they were scared that that was going to upend things if there were heathens living among them. Which is ironic, very ironic, that they would consider the Thessalonians to be heathens. Verse 10, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us, from the wrath to come. The great hope of the Christian faith is Christ's return. So before the cross, they were looking to the first advent. After the cross, after the death, they're looking, we look for the second advent. We look for the second coming of Christ. And there's going to be a lot of eschatological talk in the book of First Thessalonians, looking toward Christ's return. <clears throat> raised from the dead. It, it wasn't the embodiment of Christ that was raised. It wasn't the spirit of Christ. The, the, this is how we should live that was raised from the dead. It was his physical body 
that was raised from the dead. Uh, let's see. Remember in verse 9, the living and true God. Christ is living and true. And this Jesus who delivers, Christ is the only way to obtain salvation. There is no other way. Your good works are filthy rags. Your ignorance as a tribalman in a remote jungle is not enough to get you into heaven. The only way to enter into heaven is Christ, nothing else. He doesn't save you and leave you. He saves you and delivers you. Who delivers us from the wrath to come. And it's a type and shadow of our salvation. Is that... Christ was dead. Well, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But he has raised us from the dead just as he was raised from the dead and pulls us out of that lifestyle. So if we continue to live in that lifestyle, we really need to ask ourselves, are we legitimately saved? You know, you have to look deep into, into why, do you, why do you think you're saved? Is it because you prayed a prayer, wrote the wrote a date in the name of an evangelist in your Bible? Is it because you were baptized, because you have church, church attendance? None of those things save you. Um, there are plenty of people, plenty of baptized people stoking the flames of hell right now. There are plenty of people who uh, prayed many a prayer for salvation and many a revival stoking the flames of hell right now. Don't be numbered among them. Repent and believe the gospel. Christ will return and there will be judgment on the wicked. Are you one of the wicked or are you one of the brethren? Are you one of the Thessalonians who have just added, or are are you one of those, those lost men, those wicked men, in Macedonia and Thessalonica, who have just added God to your pantheon of worship, to your idolatry, your adultery, your lust, your cursing the name of God, your dishonor, your lack of integrity? Is he just one thing that you've tacked onto it? To try to salve over all the rest of those things? Or are you like the Thessalonian? Where your salvation was secured through the Holy Spirit. That God's electing love, Christ's redeeming work, and the Holy Spirit's convicting ways have saved you from an eternity in hell. So a little bit of application. Encouragement. Encouragement in the faith can help to strengthen it and can help to sustain it. So we must work together as Christians to strengthen one another and encourage one another in the faith. And number two, when God saves someone, he doesn't leave them to revel in their sin. You're not left to your own devices. Your whole life is transformed. Your whole person is transformed. Your heart is renewed. You are a different creature altogether. Number three, your actions as a whole should be a testament of your faith. You cannot call yourself a Christian and live in, in accordance with the world, with society. Uh, and it's not, it's not, there are big things. Uh, God, and the great, God and the gay Christian, for example, you cannot be a Christian and a practicing homosexual. There is no way. Um, you cannot be a Christian and a practicing idolater. There is no way. 
your conviction will rip you in half. You will be absolutely flat out miserable. You'll be as lonely as you were before you ever came to the faith if you decide to live in sin. But your act, but, but they go all the way down to simple things. How do you talk around other people? Could they, could people pinpoint your speech and say, man, this guy is saved. I haven't heard him say this, that, or the other. Listen to how the world talks. Do not talk like that. Listen, look to where they go. Don't go there. Read Psalm 1. It's on the uh, feed, as a matter of fact. It's the first Psalm Sunday. Blessed is the man who walks not in the path of the wickedness or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but whose delight is in the word of the Lord. And on it he meditates, and on it he meditates day and night. So who are you? Are you a wicked man in Thessalonia or are you a saved man in Thessalonia? And in closing, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. So I just wanted to thank you guys for listening, for um, continuing to follow the podcast. It's still sketchy. I'm still getting used to it, and I will continue to get better as time progresses. Uh, I found that I really like to do this, and I'm trying to make it in a way that's both entertaining but also informative. Um, I know how I listen to podcasts constantly, and I know when you get that one that you just put off a background noise. I don't want that to be this one. I don't want to be background noise. Um, I want to be edifying. I want to build you up. And so that's what I'm trying to do here. And if there's any improvements that I can make, if, if I'm too monotone or there's not enough inflection or I'm mispronouncing things or I have too much of this or not enough of that, just let me know. Find a way to get a hold of me. I'm hard to reach sometimes, but... I always find my way back. <laughs> so, again, thank you for listening, and I pray that your week is filled with God's favor. Thank you. <laughs>